Hello, my name is Matt Deemer, former congressional candidate for Ohio's 7th District, and this is Cuyahoga Today, brought to you by the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party, where we bring you Democratic Party updates, political and informational conversations, everything that is happening in Cuyahoga today. Also, if you could, do us a favor. If you're listening to this on Apple Podcasts, please click the five-star rating and leave us a nice comment. It helps people find this show and give them confidence when they click on it. If you're on any other app, like Spotify, there are also places where you can leave five-star ratings as well. If you have any questions or comments for me or the guests, you can reach out to mdiemer at kydem.com. That's mdemer at cuidem.com. And here are this week's news updates. This is your Executive Vice Chair, Juanita Brent. We have an important election coming up on August 8th. In this election, we encourage you to vote no, and I mean it, you gotta vote no, to ensure that we protect our democracy. See you at the polls August 8th. One person, one vote. And here are your upcoming Democratic Club meetings for July 5th through July 11th. Tonight, Wednesday, July 5th, go meet the Cuyahoga County Young Democrats. They're meeting at 7 p.m. Also, at 7 p.m., the Strongsville Democratic Club is meeting as well. Thursday, July 6th, the Chagrin Gateway Democrats are meeting at 6.30 p.m., as well as the Fairview Park Democratic Club. On Friday, July 7th, the Democratic Senior Caucus is meeting at 12.30 p.m., and over the weekend, we have two great calls to action. One, if you would like some training with the ODP and Lead Ohio, you can do some candidate training on Saturday, July 8th at 9 a.m., And if you want to help get out the word to vote no on issue one on August 8th, phone banking is happening Sunday, July 9th at 6 p.m. And finally, Monday, July 10th, the Mid Park Democratic Club is meeting at 6 p.m. And at 7, the Hillcrest Democratic Club. Now, without further ado, we get to chat with Judge Michael John Ryan. And he's going to walk through the courts with us, giving us a 101 on what every court does. We also talk about some court cases. And to be honest with you, unless you work in the courts, you're going to learn something that you didn't know. Enjoy. Judge Michael John Ryan, how you doing? Welcome to the show, sir. I'm doing great, Matt. How are you doing today? I'm, I'm, I'm excellent. I'm excellent. I just want to let, let everybody know that uh, we've campaigned together. I've seen you dozens of times around town. I want to say congratulations on getting elected. elected. Uh, you're, you. you're one of my favorite people uh, on the campaign trail. <laughs> and I'm so happy for you to be here today. Do me a quick favor. favor give everybody a brief introduction on you. Okay. I am uh, Mike. My name is Michael John Ryan. I am currently a judge for Ohio's 8th District Court of Appeals. There are currently 12 judges that serve uh, Cuyahoga County. Uh, and um, just doing, uh, you know, my thing here this uh, this this morning. So uh, I love being a judge at the Eighth uh, District, and um, uh, project that was judge for juvenile court and then municipal court. So this is my 18th year on the bench. So this is actually the perfect topic for you. Is we're just going to run down. Uh, give everybody a 101 on all of the different courts. You've been in three. In, I think there's, <laughs> yes. I'm going to go through the different courts in Cuyahoga County really quick. Uh, but what are, this is a question I think I get a lot. What are the requirements to become a judge? Well, in order to become a judge uh, in Ohio, at least with respect to an elected judge, you have to have practiced six years 
Um, and so that, that's that's the requirement. When you, you're an attorney, obviously, pass the bar and then practice law for six years. And then once that occurs, you're eligible to be um, either elected or appointed uh, to uh, a municipal court judge or common pleas court judge, uh, appellate court, or even the Ohio Supreme Court. That's all you need is six years. Okay, so, but, so basically... An average person that, without being a lawyer, cannot be a judge. No, they cannot. The, the governor can't appoint just anybody. They're, they're no, our our laws don't permit that. But what's kind of interesting is that the U.S. Supreme Court doesn't have that restriction. Okay, you don't have to be an attorney to be appointed. Never as practiced a justice. Law. Yeah, uh, for the um, Supreme Court, the Constitution doesn't require it. For the U.S. Supreme Court. Right. But the Ohio Supreme Court, you do. Ohio Supreme Court does require it. Excellent. So that's where we're going to head over into the 101 of the other courts. Let's see what the courts are really quick. We're going to talk about today Common Pleas Court, Court of Appeals, Municipal Court, Juvenile Court, Probate Court, Domestic Relations Court, and Housing Court. And, of course, we'll probably end it off with the Supreme Court. Did I miss any courts? Uh, There's a county court, but we don't have county courts here in Cuyahoga County. So... You need to talk about those. Okay, excellent, excellent. So let's just start at the beginning. What is Common Pleas Court? Uh, Common Pleas Court uh, is a court where you hear uh, felony matters. In fact, it's the Cuyahoga County Court of Common Pleas has four divisions. And so sometimes people get a little confused because they say, well, you're a juvenile court judge yet, but I was a Common Pleas Court judge. Uh, There are the four divisions. You have the uh, general division, which handles um, felonies, uh, also uh, is responsible for large civil complex cases, so above the $15,000 uh, threshold that municipal courts usually have. And then you have um, uh, the domestic relations court. You have a probate and juvenile. Uh, within the common pleas general division, uh, there are 34 judges uh, in that particular court. Uh, and when I talk about the handle of the felony cases, so if anyone's charged with a felony offense, that means that they can possibly go to jail between six uh, months minimum all the way up until, you know, life mm-hmm. or be uh, given a death penalty based on any uh, heinous felony offense, um, then that's what those courts are responsible for presiding over those type of cases. They also handle really complex civil cases. So if someone is being sued uh, and, you know, the amount could be upwards of uh, 15000 you can say in the millions, those are usually handled by the Common Pleas General Division. Okay. The reason why, and again, the reason why we're going through this is because I think there's a lot of courts and people don't know the actual inner workings of the courts. But why is the common pleas court called the common pleas court? Because it sounds, and this sounds may sound a little weird of a question, but it's common pleas sounds kind of like oh, it's just basic cases. But you're talking about felonies and murders and and you know multi million dollar lawsuits. Yeah, why common pleas? That goes to the the. uh, the creation of the courts, and that's just the, the name. Uh, so, if you have you have uh, common pleas uh, throughout the country, some people, some uh, jurisdiction calls it the Commonwealth. Mm, uh, some jurisdictions okay. just say it's the District Court. Okay, uh, okay. Our, ours is named the Common Pleas Court. Okay. So th- that that's why it, it has that particular name. Okay. But the the name Common shouldn't ref- shouldn't reflect the type of cases that are there because they're definitely not common. Okay, because that's <laughs> I, I guess that's what everybody starts thinking is like yeah. common pleas, and you were talking about you said so that, you know very unique cases go through there, and you're just like, what does this even mean? No, no, that's that's just a, a reference to 
um, old English. Gotcha. Understood. <laughs> Understood. Now we're going out to your court, the Court of Appeals. What is the Court of Appeals? The Court of Appeals is responsible for uh, determining whether or not the trial court's decision was uh, accurate or correct. And so when we talk about trial courts, um, you have municipal courts that are trial courts within Cuyahoga County, and there are 13 municipal courts, and then you also have the housing court as well. So that's a total of 14 uh, within the 58 cities and villages that make up Cuyahoga County. Um, and then you have the common pleas courts. So you have the general division, you have probate, domestic relations, and juvenile. So if an individual objects to the decision that judges make in those seats, I mean, excuse me, in those courts, they have the ability to appeal those to the uh, 8th District Court of Appeals. And then we're responsible for determining whether or not the judge made the right decision in those cases. Do you think that's the best practice is to um, have one court make a judgment and then it goes to a completely other court to look at it in a different light? Uh, yeah, I, I believe that that's, that's um, appropriate and, and required because individuals want to be ensured that you know their rights were... Um, actually uh, comply with by the, the, the trial court. Mm -hmm. And you can't have the same judge that actually made that decision review their own decision. Right. So you need, um, so as someone made a good point the other day, we judge the judges. Mm. Uh, and then we are judged as well by the Ohio Supreme Court. Uh, so okay. there's always a way of someone being able to, um, to uh, uh, actually verify or... Um, yeah, clarify any decisions that are made by um, by a trial court. That makes a lot of um, sense. So, and, and so I, I think that's right. Um, we don't we don't allow the judges, you know, quote unquote, to police themselves. Uh, the trial courts. It's it's our responsibility at the appellate court now, to make that determination. Now, like the Supreme Court, is it up to you, the judge, to um, decide what cases you hear or not? Uh, no, not at the appellate level. Everyone has a right to appeal uh, their cases from the trial court. Uh, we don't pick and choose which cases get appealed to the appellate court. Now, at the House Supreme Court, they do have the authority to determine which cases come to them, except for death penalty cases. Oh, okay. Uh, death penalty cases, there's a right to appeal. They don't go to the appellate courts any longer. They used to. They go straight uh, to the Supreme. They go straight to the uh, House Supreme Court uh, to kind of, um, you know, cut down on the time that was taken for cases to get to the Ohio Supreme Court. Now, that's interesting because, like you said, you're judging the judges. Now, if there's only two checks in in that process, the Common Pleas Court and the Ohio Supreme Court, do you think that's enough checks and balances for somebody's life? Well, when you're talking about uh, death penalty cases, because that um, is the, that actually uh, triggers uh, the uh, 14th Amendment to the um, U.S. Constitution uh, in terms of um, unusual, cruel and unusual punishment. So that gives individuals the ability to go through the federal system after they have uh, gone through the state system. Oh. So it, it, just because a matter gets to the House Supreme Court doesn't mean that that's the last stop for an individual. They have the ability to appeal their cases to the federal court uh, and it would then get to, if it gets to the U.S. Supreme Court, then obviously that uh, and they are unsuccessful there, then that would be the, the last. So that, that process would be the common pleas court to the Supreme Court, Supreme Court to the circuit court. Right. To the district court, district, district court. court to the appellate court uh, and then from the appellate court 
uh, to the U.S. Supreme Court. So there's a U.S. U.S. appellate court. Interesting, interesting. I did not know that. Okay, so now let's go to more things I probably don't know about. Municipal court. What is this court? The municipal court is actually uh, a court where most people have an interaction with the court system. I mean, if you get a speeding ticket, if you get, uh, you know, you you uh, you uh, run a red light, uh, if uh, you know you have um, an an incident with a, a friend or family member. That is your first introduction to the court system, municipal courts. So they handle misdemeanor offenses, uh, minor misdemeanors. Um, those are the traffic cases, uh, disorderly conduct, all the way up to misdemeanor of the first degree, which is domestic violence, assault, um, which uh, could be bribery as well. I actually had a bribery case when I was in municipal court um, as a um, as a prosecutor. Uh, and so uh, those those particular those that's that's what we call the people's court, uh, and uh, they also have. I remember that TV show. Uh, the right? people's court. Yeah, <laughs> there there are a lot of um, you know cases that are on um, the uh, what is that the the judge shows that actually originate from the municipal courts. What the judge shows do is that they go to the municipal courts and they see which cases are filed there. And then they send letters to those uh, litigants and say, why don't you take your case out of municipal court and bring it to us? That's hilarious. They, they have small claims courts right. and um, municipal courts as well where you could sue individuals up to $6,000, which means if you're in small claims, you don't need the assistance of an attorney. So you, you mentioned that you had a bribery case. It, when it comes to a bribery case in, in municipal court, does it also have to fall within the $15,000 limit? Actually, that bribery was a criminal case. Uh, what happened is that an uh, individual was a um, housing inspector, and he was uh, telling individuals that he would not give them citations provided that they gave him uh, financial <laughs> gifts. And oh, so, just straight up bribing the guy. Straight, straight up, up bribery. Not just him, but several people. And so one day he got a ticket because there was another uh, code enforcer that was assigned to his particular street. So he came into court and says, I don't understand why I have this. He says, I've been paying to avoid this ticket. <laughs> And so that started an investigation. That's, that's the stupidest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. That is so dumb. Okay. All right. We're going to move over to juvenile court. This seems like the most um, uh, easy one to answer. And, of course, you were a juvenile court judge as well. Yes. Um, tell us about this. Juvenile court uh, is responsible for uh, adjudicating matters involving young people. So uh, it could be delinquency cases. Delinquency is another way of saying criminal cases for uh, for young people. And that could be, you know, as minor as um, jaywalking to as major as aggravated murder. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, individuals in juvenile court, and the state, is, well, the state of Ohio is kind of um, unique and that we don't have a, a, um, a basement, in t- in, so to speak, for young people in terms of you know the, the uh, those who can be charged. Um, so I was going to ask they, that. So there's no like minimum age. Those so minimum, you, no you minimum. You can be a two-year-old jaywalking well, and go to technically <laughs> yes, but then no because in Ohio they have passed a, a provision in the case that if you are under five year, five years old, you lack the capacity to form the mens rea or the intent needed to commit an offense. Okay. So if a four-year-old were to get a firearm and shoot someone, can't charge them. Okay. Or stab someone. But a five-year-old, you could. A five-year-old could. Uh, That's interesting. And, right. And a lot of states, they don't, a lot of states have a, a minimum um, level, age, but Ohio does not. 
Um, if everybody was wondering why I keep looking this way, Mrs. Ryan is sitting over here as well. So, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah my my my, um, my duo. She's a, she's over there. The dynamic duo, part of this dynamic duo, um, and so. Uh, that that's so that's that's pretty uh, interesting for for the state of Ohio. But so if you are under 17 years old, you can be um, charged in uh, and you're charged with a criminal offense. Your case originates in the juvenile court system. Doesn't mean it'll stay there, but that's where it originates. And so, one question I know a lot of people ask is like, when do, who makes the call and when does the age go from I'm a juvenile to I'm an adult? Now, of course, if the, we heard about murder charges mm-hmm. and it's like. We're going to charge you as an adult. How does that happen? And also, is there any times where like a 19 or 20-year-old is charged as a juvenile? Uh, I'll answer that first question, the, the latter question first. 19, 20-year-old who's alleged to have committed an offense when they were 17 or younger, yes, they are charged initially as a juvenile. Um, but like I said, will their case remain in the juvenile justice system? Probably not at 20 years old, 21, because now you're closer to the age of being an adult. And the juvenile justice is built for juveniles, mm-hmm. not for adults. Right. In terms of rehabilitation, in terms of services that are provided and offered, right. they are generally focused on young people. And we don't, well, not we, but I'm not there any longer, but the juvenile justice doesn't have the capacity to service um, adults unless you start in the system. So say, for instance, an individual is 15 years old and they're found delinquent of a pretty heinous offense, which means a murder, uh, and they're committed to the Ohio Department of Youth Service, which is the prison system for young people. Um, they would stay there as if they committed the offense with a firearm until they're 21 years old. Um, and so at 18, you're legally an adult but you're still considered to be a child under the um, under the Ohio law. Right. And so there are services provided there. But if you are beyond that age, um, beyond 21, uh, there's there, there aren't services So, so like you So like you said, um, charges could be uh, put on a 20-year-old that because of something they did when they were 17. Right. Now, of course, it might move from the juvenile court to common pleas. Correct. Um, would the sentencing reflect that of the juvenile court then? No. Well, that doesn't seem fair. It, it does not. And, you know, there may need to be people who advocate for a change. Because if you I, did it when, yeah, if you did it when you're a minor, but then they only get you, like, you know, four or five years later, then they're, you're getting, like, oh, now you're getting 20 years for something that you would have got only three years for. Yes. And I, I think that that's not uh, equitable. I don't think that that's... Uh, fair, but it's not for me to decide because that's what the current law is. Because right. I've seen situations, I saw situations like that when I was in juvenile court. But I was like, my, you know, my hands are tied um, because of what the current state of the law C- is. Cynical question here: Do you think that there are people gaming that system so they can get better, higher sentencing for some of these cases? Saying like, we won't charge this person now; we'll wait until they're eighteen, nineteen, twenty. No, you, you you can't do that. I mean, um, if an individual is uh, uh, actually apprehended uh, at the time, then it's a requirement that the state go forward and process that individual. They can't. They can't just wait. Uh, although there is there isn't a uh, what we call a statute of limitations. Uh, I'm gonna strike that. Not statute of limitations, but a speedy trial in mm-hmm. in the juvenile justice system, like there is in the adult system. So um, they can drag it out, but 
once they are complete with the, the process or the procedure, and if it remains in the juvenile justice system, then they're only subject to those particular um, sanctions that the, justice, that the juvenile justice system um, actually affords them. Um, you know, dragging it out and then trying to say, well, now they're an adult, and we think they should be subject to that. No, unless the case has been bound over, you're not going to be able to subject that kid uh, to those those penalties. Now, binding over is a different is a different situation. You know, at the age of 14, young people are eligible to have a case bound over to the adult court. Uh, provided that they are accused of any felony level offense. And that was my first question, right? When do right. you charge a minor at, at, as an adult? Right. So 14. And that's called binding over. That it's, called the, it's called the bind over process. Okay. You're binding them over to be uh, tried as an adult in the general division for the common police court. Um, now, there are different levels that we call discretionary and mandatory bind overs. Um, if an individual was 14 or 15, uh, they can't get to mandatory unless they have been previously deemed to, uh, um, well, not deemed, but they were previously bound over on another case and then found guilty. So that means that. So this is going to be like second strike. Right. First time, you're cool. Second, second time, time, mandatory, you're an adult now. Right. Yeah, exactly. And that's what the, the terminology is. It says that once you're found guilty, in the adult court, even though you are a juvenile at the time, you are no longer deemed to be a child. Mm. So, in fact, um, you know, they go through that process if they're charged later, coming through the court, but we can't do anything. Well, I couldn't as a juvenile court judge because they're no longer a child. Mandatory. Cases, but mandatory seems... Mandatory. That, that's just, that's kind of, um, it, it, that, I don't know, it's, it doesn't seem right. And that case has been... You know, litigated. I mean, that issue has been litigated numerous times to, with the Ohio Supreme Court, mm -hmm. and they can. And there was a, um, a a case where they actually had decided that they were going to um, remove mandatory and make everything discretionary. And then there was a reconsideration that was done shortly thereafter, and they changed their minds and they went back to the split of discretionary and mandatory. Mandatory happens. Uh, if you're 16 or 17 years old and you are, are alleged to have committed um, what we call a Category 1 offense, or it could be Category 2 with certain specifications, but if it's a Category 1 offense, meaning that you're charged with aggravated murder, murder, um, attempted murder, and you're 16 or 17 years old, all the state needs to do is show that there's probable cause that you committed the offense. They don't have to show proof beyond a reasonable doubt that you committed the offense. It could be based on a complicity argument. So say, for instance, you were with someone mm. and they allege that you, that maybe that person was the principal individual that committed the offense. You're with them. Guess what? Both of you get bound over. Mandatory. Mandatory. You are, you are now an adult. Yeah. And, and there's no, the court doesn't have any discretion. Interesting. To and if we have discretion, that's different. Discretion says, okay, the state proved probable cause. Now, the juvenile court determines if, in fact, you are someone who should be bound over. And we have factors that we use, um, and these are factors to determine whether or not you are amenable or are you are amenable to the juvenile justice system. And we go through a litany of factors. We have a psychological evaluation that is completed uh, for the young person, and we use that evaluation as well as the factors in determining if this kid 
uh, is amenable to the juvenile justice system. If we find that they are, then the case remains there. If we find they're not amenable and also find that the safety of the community may require that they be subjected to adult sanctions, then that's another way for them to be bound over. Interesting. Super interesting. All right, before we go to the other three courts, I want you to tell us about your tie. Oh, my tie. Uh, <laughs> that that was a, a conscious member. decision you made. <laughs> yes, it was. I'm a member of Phi Beta Sigma Fraternity Incorporated. It's one of the um, uh, five historically black uh, fraternities uh, uh, in the um, in the country. Uh, actually, through, through the world, we have um, chapters in uh, Africa, in Great Britain, and so forth. Um, and uh, so I decided to wear that uh, today. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Ryan, what are you laughing at? <laughs> he loves that fraternity. He loves I do, that fraternity. I do. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. So, so I did a good job by asking him about his tie. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Excellent. Excellent. Well, let's move on to probate court. What is probate court? Uh, probate court is responsible for handling issues regarding wills, trusts, guardianships, uh, and also what people don't uh, realize is that if an individual is having you know uh, mental challenges to the point where they need to be um, committed or incapacitated, then they go through the probate court to uh, commit them to a mental health facility so that they can um, no longer be a danger to themselves or others. Um, probate court, that's probably the, the, the least used court, I think, or the, I won't say least used, but- How many uh, judges are there? There are two. Only so that, two. D- that okay. does give an indication that right. there's, there's not a lot of cases uh, that go through um, the, the probate court. Um, but they, they do a, a great job in, in terms of uh, making decisions on guardianships and wills and trust and, and so forth. You said mental health cases. So yeah. does if there's a mental health case, case in like the um, common pleas court and you see that there's a mental health aspect to that case, does it automatically get passed to probate or is it no, just? No, it's not automatic. Um, it's a, you know, there are, I mean, the, the law is pretty clear in terms of what is uh, permissible to commit someone to um, to uh, a, a facility? Now there in, in, there are there's a, there's a crossover though because there are times the common pleas court individual uh, is charged with a criminal offense yet they they aren't they're deemed to be incompetent uh, to stand trial or they are deemed to be they have committed the um, offense because they are insane. Um, and so those individuals are, are therefore uh, then they go through another process of being committed to the probate court and transferred there um, to uh, ensure that, again, they are a danger to the safety of themselves or uh, to the community. So there is um, uh, an, an interaction or intermingling between the two courts in mm. those situations. Understood, understood. This might be a weird question. Um, what what does a judge do? And I'm asking that because you just said in a couple of, ca- a couple of these courts that the judges are bound by already law. For example, there's mandatory bindings. There's mandatory minimums or and so on and so forth. And if you are operating as a judge within these guidelines of the law, say, oh, this is a felony, you have to sentence this way, how much wiggle room and what does a judge do to kind of like run his or her court? 
Well, you know, a judge's uh, responsibility is to um, efficient, efficiently, effectively, and appropriately adjudicate the cases that come before them. You're like the you're um, like the, you're like the manager of the law. Yeah, we are the uh, general you know, manager. It's my court. We, I'm running it. Yo, we we have to be efficient mm -hmm. uh, in terms of you know how we process cases, which means that we use, normally have staff members that assist us uh, in, in ensuring that we're getting these cases uh, completed. Um, but essentially, you know, responsibility by the judge is to be able to apply the facts mm -hmm. uh, in any particular case to what the law is and then render a decision based on those particular facts. Uh, and then uh, what the law says, those facts should uh, indicate what the, the outcome how much, should how much be. How much liberty do you have or judges have? Does um, it depend on, depend on the court? Does it depend on, like, it, creativity? It, it depends on the court in terms of how much uh, control you have after a decision is made. And I tell people all the time, the facts don't change, mm -hmm. okay? Mm -hmm. um, the law doesn't change. Um, and, and so when you're making those choices, those decisions, those conclusions, you have to come out with what's the correct uh, um, conclusion regarding the, the law in this, this particular matter. What changes, what, it, what um, you know, what's different for every judge uh, could be a, a sentence or a resolution. That's where your creativity comes in. And, you know, there are, uh, you know, some judges who take liberty with that and some who are pretty, you know, strict. They, they stay right where the guidelines are. They don't go uh, um, beyond those. Uh, and, and so as an appellate court, when people are disagreeing with the decision the judges make, we have to look at whether or not the judge abused their discretion. Mm, um, mm. Um, you know, did they, was it arbitrary? Was it capricious? Was it unreasonable? Uh, and, and so that, that, that's our goal. But because, you know, a, one judge would have done it differently doesn't mean that it's unreasonable mm -hmm, mm -hmm. or arbitrary. That's interesting. Or capricious. That's so, really interesting. A um, judge could do it differently but still be within the law and it could be a right decision exactly. even though you don't agree. Even though you don't agree. And that's something that, you know, as a appellate court judge. Man, you got to eat some humble pie sometimes, I bet. <laughs> you do. And, you know, there are times when, you know, my colleagues and I, we disagree on, you know, what one judge did. But then, you know, we have to step back and say, yes, but was it one, was it contrary to, to law? Mm. If it's contrary to law, that means that they were out, but out, outside of what the law says they're permitted to do. Um, and if that happens, there's no issue about abuse or discretion. You did it wrong. Now we're going to reverse you, tell you how to do it right. But if it's within the bounds of the law, now is it an abuse? And so that that, that varies right. in, in terms of what's, what's abuse. I would that. assume that sometimes judges in the, in the appeals court or the appellate court would make a decision based off of their feelings and say, well, I don't like how that judge ruled, so I'm going to overturn it or do something different then i would assume that would go up to the supreme court, up to the supreme court. is there any kind of like re repercussions for the judges if they know that maybe one of the judges acted outside of the law for example the ju the judge in the common pleas court made a ruling the appellate court judge didn't like it but it was still within the law like you just said overturned it or did something different that might have been out that didn't go against, that was still within the law, but, you know, still, but going against the other judge, and then it went up to the Supreme Court. Would the Supreme Court, can the Supreme Court have any repercussions for the judge saying, like, that was not a legal thing that you did, 
or we just didn't like what you did. You know what I'm saying? Is there any kind of like? It's not. I don't want to say repercussions, but the the Ohio Supreme Court has the uh, ultimate authority to reverse the what the appellate court did. So they could affirm the trial court and and say, you know, what the trial court did was within their right. What was within their discretion. Mm. They did not abuse it. The appellate court was mistaken about their determination of a, of the abuse, and we therefore uphold the trial court and we reverse the uh, appellate court. Um, but again, you know, those type of cases, uh, uh, unless there's, you know, you can, you, you see uh, something that, what we call that's for the, ju- the, the good of the, of the state of Ohio, something that's a, a public concern or there's conflicts between the districts, the likelihood of that type of case getting to the House Supreme Court is, is, is minimal. They, they are very picky about what type of cases that they choose. Understood, understood. Okay, two more courts going, or two more courts courts left. We have domestic relations court. What is this court? Domestic relations, just as it you know, it, it sounds. Um, they deal with issues regarding um, um, married parties. Uh, so you talk about uh, custody. Uh, you're talking about child support. Uh, you're talking about dissolutions and divorces. What's a dissolution? Dissolution is something short of a divorce. A divorce is a contested um, uh, complaint by the parties that their marriage should terminate. A dissolution is an agreement oh, by the parties okay. that their marriage should terminate. What's the difference between this court and the probate court? Because you said there's guardianships in the probate court and a and then you have domestic relations court. What's the difference there? Well, domestic relations doesn't deal with guardianships. The, there's a similarity between juvenile court and domestic relations. They have okay. uh, what we call concurrent jurisdiction sometimes and issues because in juvenile juvenile court and domestic relations are the family courts because mm. uh, there are a lot of uh, other uh, courts in Ohio where there are judges who hear both domestic relations and juvenile cases. Why? Because they're similar. Uh, In uh, domestic relations, you're talking about um, child support, custody issues. Same thing with respect to juvenile court. It's custody issues, child support. The difference between domestic relations and juvenile court and domestic relations, individuals are married and they have children in juvenile court. They're not married, but they have children. Mm. Um, and so, you know, it depends on, you know, your status in terms of which court you're going to have your matter uh, resolved in. All right. So last one, we have housing court. This uh-huh. seems pretty obvious, but for some reason, I think you're going to throw me a curveball here. What is housing court? <laughs> housing court deals with, obviously, um, you know, uh, properties uh, within uh, the city of Cleveland because, um other uh, other municipalities don't have a separate housing court, but they deal with housing issues. So landlord-tenant um, issues, um, you're talking about whether or not an individual is keeping up their property. So code violations for uh, not cutting your grass or if your house is deteriorating, um, you know, you come in through the housing court. But it also deals with business, businesses. So businesses that are violating um, the code, they go through housing court as well. Um, restaurants, um, they have to go through housing court. So if there are violations there, they're not complying with um, uh, food code vi- uh, food code uh, issues, they go through housing court. So it's, it's a pretty busy court. Does, that, does the housing court 
work with domestic relations court when divorces or disillusions and stuff? No, they are separate from them. Okay. Um, if there's a divorce dissolution and there's a, a property issue, that remains with the domestic uh, relations court. They determine property distribution after a divorce, uh, and housing court is not is not involved. All right, last one. Last one. I said the last one was the last one, but now this is the last <laughs> one. The Supreme Court. How does the uh, these other cases or the other courts work with the Supreme Court? Okay, so the um, Ohio Supreme Court, unlike the other 12 appellate courts, um, don't, there is no right to uh, have a case heard before the Ohio Supreme Court other than, of course, like I said, um, the uh, death penalty cases. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so... Um, it's always discretionary in terms of whether or not the Ohio Supreme Court is going to take a matter up for consideration. So if it's an issue uh, that has gotten a, a lot of attention, public issue uh, for a particular case, then the House Supreme Court may look and say, you know, we need to make a determinate, make a decision that gives guidance to the lower courts on how to resolve matters that are similar to these particular cases. Uh, this particular case. And so the Ohio Supreme Court will take that case on. Um, for instance, there's a, there was an issue of what we call uh, Reagan Tokes. I don't know, a lot of people may know, not know about that. But Reagan Tokes was a young lady who was murdered um, in southern Ohio. Uh, and the individual that murdered her um, had had some issues while he was in prison. But he completed his sentence uh, according to the definite sentences that uh, that was created by the Ohio legislature years ago. They got rid of indefinite sentencing. And so um, what happened is that they passed a new law that says, despite the fact that we have this definite sentencing, um, we're going to allow indefinite sentencing to come back to a degree. Why? Because we want to ensure that individuals who are misbehaving in prison get additional time. Mm. Okay, Uh, One, as an incentive, to ensure that people are complying with the rehabilitative process that go through prison, they don't get out and engage in this type of behavior. Number two, to keep people in prison who aren't behaving appropriately, right. keep them in there longer so they can't come out and commit acts like this. Right. And so, um, you know, uh, within our district, you know, our district, there was actually a, um, in the Ohio 8th District Appellate Court, there was a split. One panel said the law was unconstitutional, and there was one plan. I mean, one panel that said it was constitutional, and so then the entire court voted what we call en banc, which means all 12 judges as opposed to just three, which is on one panel, all voted that it was constitutional. But that wasn't the case for some of the other districts, and the Ohio Supreme Court said we need to take this issue mm. on, and so they are going. They going. They are the ones going to be the final arbiter on Reagan Tokes and whether or not it's constitutional or unconstitutional. Um, and they, we are currently waiting their, uh, their decision. Oh, that's, that's in there right now. Yes. The argument occurred in February. And so we're waiting on them to be able to give us guys. Cause there are a ton of appeals that keep coming up to the eighth district, asserting that the, uh, Reagan Tokes is unconstitutional. Um, saying that, you know, the state of Ohio went to definite sentencing this indefinite sentencing, because this is, I'm going to give you an example. Three years minimum, maximum is 11 years. So, uh, and then you divide that 11, and that gives you uh, five and a half. So, 
if the judge says, I'm going to give you 11 years, uh, instead of it being 11 years now, it's 11 to um, 16 and a half. So you, okay. get, you get the extra five and a half. However, you may not have to serve the five and a half provided that your yep. behavior is sufficient. And if, you're, and if you're acting up in prison, they're just going to be like, all right, do that five and a half. You do that five and a half. So there's the, what they're saying, and the judge doesn't make that determination. It's the executive branch through the parole department, the, the APA. They decide. That seems like a conflict if we're talking about for-profit priv- prisons or— Could be. Hmm. And that's why uh, the lawyers have raised the issue that this is unconstitutional because um, there's no separation of powers. You've taken that ability away from the judges, which the judges usually have. Right. Um, and so that that's one of the issues that are, that's being argued. That is um, super interesting. When that gets resolved, I hope you come back on and uh, talk about it. I, I, yeah, I hope I get a, yeah, a chance to do so because I would like to. L- one last question, and then we'll get everybody out of here. Um, and I don't know if you want to answer this question, but I'm going to ask it and see what you say. What do you think about the new trend of putting D and R next to judges' names? Oh, boy. Um, I was not a, um advocate of that. I believe that um, individuals uh, should have the right to vote for judges because judges are supposed to be uh, making decisions that aren't um, you know, based on party. Right. Non- nonpartisan that because though when an individual comes into court we don't say you know it's a democrat over there a republican <laughs> right. there it's an independent right these are parties that's the um that's the plaintiff that's the defendant and we're supposed to make decisions on the law based on that only um and now adding politics to that kind of changes things and i think kind of you know makes people make decisions based on their party uh, which I, I don't think is, is 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 right and should be done because now um, we get away from impartiality uh, and we get away from what the law really holds is that everybody should be treated equally. Right. And instead of Lady Justice having, you know, her blindfold on, now she has it off and she's looking and one side has a D with respect to, you mm. know, she has these glasses on and an R. Um, on the other what courts what courts have a DNR in front of the, the judges names uh, the Ohio Supreme Court and the um, appellate courts um, and so that then leads to another question as to okay if because the uh, the proponents of the change said we wanted to do that in order to get more people to vote in judicial races mm-hmm. so if that's the case why not have it apply? you know, for common police court and municipal right, court. Right, So that completely defeats, you know, that argument. Um, so, I, you know, I, it's my hope that, you know, there will be a change. And it can always change because this right. was a law that was passed by the legislature. It was not something that is in our Ohio Constitution. So if we have, you know, um, other individuals who see that, you know, this particular um, way of electing uh, judges uh, isn't uh, effective or appropriate, uh, they can change it. Have you seen issues with that? Say, for, for example, appellate court, you just said these and ours in front of the judge's name. Somebody comes from common pleas court and they go to the appellate court, they go, oh man, it's a D. Oh man, it's an R. Do, do you see that? Have you heard that? Uh, I have not heard that. So, 
Yeah, no, I, I haven't heard that. So. Interesting, interesting. Okay, all right. Um, but I know that it's it's going to impact races throughout the state because we're we are deemed to be you know a red state, mm-hmm. um, and, and so individuals who were elected based on their um, their ability, their experience, um, their 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 prior judicial um, work, their their prior work as an attorney. And you know, I'm talking about like uh, Justice Bruner and Justice um, uh, Donnelly and Justice Stewart. Now, you know, those uh, particular characteristics won't be seen uh, by individuals that just see them as you know, as, as a D. Uh, and despite the fact that they were, um, you know, given high marks from the Howe Bar Association, um, from the um, uh, editorial boards of papers throughout uh, the state of Ohio, uh, high marks from Judge for Yourself, which is you know a combination or uh, of d- different bar associations that actually know the work of the judges that are in those courtrooms and know what's needed by those judges. You know, I think that will be ignored mm. uh, by individuals at this point, and they're just going to focus on party affiliation, which I think. Um, uh, is a disservice uh, to to litigants who come in those courtrooms. Judge Michael John Ryan, thank you very much for taking the time to give us a one-on-one on the courts of Cuyahoga County. My and I, pleasure. I hope you come back on and we can talk more about case law and decisions and so on and so forth. I would love to. Thank you. Thank you, man. Thank you for listening to the Cuyahoga County Democratic Party's podcast, Cuyahoga Today. Tune in next week for our latest show, and find out all of the latest information that's happening right here in your community. Show your support by going to www.cuydem.com and make a contribution. Do you have any questions about the show? Is there a topic you want us to cover? Or is there someone you want us to interview? If so, you can reach out to me at M-D-I-E-M-E-R at C-U-Y-D-E-M dot com. That's M-Demer at Kydem dot com. Thank you again for joining our podcast. Until next week.